Welcome back, golf nerds, to the uh, preeminent uh, mental performance golf podcast now in year four. We were doing podcasts before they were cool. And, uh, and now on the radio, great to be with you on TSN 1150 Hamilton. We appreciate the uh, Bell family of radio stations allowing us to bring you this golf content each and every week. My name's Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show. Yeah, that guy. And golf spiritual leader along with uh, the very fine mental performance coach, the coach of the Guelph Griffins, and uh, leader of uh, many fine webinars and golf seminars trying to make the game more enjoyable for people without having to make a bunch of uh, adjustments to your golf swing. Tim O'Connor, welcome as always. Good to see you. How are you doing today? It's fantastic. Another great uh, week ahead. We've got a very unique program today. Uh, thanks to you and your suggestions. Of course, this program is always brought to you by TaylorMade Golf. Uh, I know you've got your uh, 790s. Have you had a chance to uh, take them out and take them for a spin yet? I, not on the actual golf course, but on the range. I love them. I absolutely love them. They look amazing. They yeah. feel great. But I still don't think I've taken the plastic off five iron yet. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I was out with somebody the other day, and I still have one of the stickers along the bottom. Yeah. They go, "Dude, what are you doing?" I go, "I don't know. I just feel I, I like it. Makes me feel like they're still new." Uh, we recommend the all new Sim Max and Sim Max OS irons. Distance you have to feel to believe. Visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca to learn about the new Echo dampening damping system. And speed bridge technology. Uh, more details at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. So this week, uh, you sent me a note, and as soon as I saw it, I was like, "Yes, let's try that." And uh, the notion Tim had was, "Hey, this uh, show we are going to release it on the radio on Saturday, and then of course as a podcast on Sunday. And Sunday is Father's Day, and for as long as there have been golf." Uh, dads and uh, sons and daughters playing golf together is a huge part of the history of the game. Indeed. Okay. Yeah. So to that end, uh, you suggested uh, that we get our brothers on and have us a discussion of what fathers have meant to us as golfers. So why don't you introduce your brothers and then I will introduce mine. Your well, brother. I have. Well, I do. I do have two brothers. Uh, the other one is Sean. But I'm greeted today with uh, to have Pat on the show. He's the middle child. So if there's some weird shit going on uh, stuff, uh, <laughs> it would be fine. So uh, and I'll be fine too. So, but I guess there's there's tension here, isn't there? I mean, when you got brothers on, you never know what they're going to say, what they're going to do. So it's going to be fun. So but, we've got uh, from Cal from Banff, Alberta, Patrick O'Connor. Welcome. How are you, right. sir? <clears throat> Great to be on the show, guys. Um, I am a big fan yeah. of Swing Thoughts. Yep, absolutely. That's, that's the correct response, to Pat. For, wanted Trained to do well. this for years. Um, and with me is a, a former guest of the program, a uh, psychologist of some renown, and a, uh, a struggling golfer for as long as I've known him. He is the eldest child and soon to be turning 80 years old, which is amazing, because he looks really great. From Calgary, Alberta, this is David Glassman. Welcome back to the show. 
Can can you get one of your kids to show you how to unmute the Zoom? Are you there? No, you can't. No. You have to unmute can, yourself. Yeah, in twenty in twenty years when I turn eighty. All right, I, I'll look I'll look forward to that. And well, uh, uh, thank you. And welcome to the program, the president of Glassman Productions, Edmonton, uh, and a quite a regular guest on the Humble and Fred Show, Edmonton Steve Glassman, who is the middle child, and also. Uh, a self-proclaimed golf nerd. Hello, Stephen. Hey, hi, everybody. Thank you for having me on. And uh, Swing Thoughts is my favorite podcast. Oh, boy. Outside of the humbling. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tim, why don't you, uh, you're the facilitator here. Why don't you uh, begin this roundtable of men talking about golf and dads and Father's Day? Uh, where did you want to start with this? Well, I, I thought that. It'd be a pretty cool thing to do to get some guys together to talk about particularly the influence that the fathers had on them. If you talk to most most guys and actually a, a lot of women, their key influence was their father. Their father took them out. And to me, it's really interesting is that when I talk to a lot of my clients who are they have this zeal to get better, they aspire to be better golfers. And I always ask them to do a piece called Why I Play Golf. And almost inevitably, there's connections to dad and the times they had, the connections they had, like in the car, lessons learned, uh, embarrassing anecdotes, to be sure. <laughs> I just thought it'd be really worth uh, kind of taking a, a look inside that in, in terms of the influence and the connection around this game of golf and our fathers. Well, um, we got three brothers here beside us. Uh, anyone want to start? Like, maybe the question is, what's your earliest memory of being introduced to the game, Patrick O'Connor, uh, by your father? Okay, wonderful question. It, it's actually one of my great uh, memories of uh, my childhood with my dad, Dennis. Um, on Sunday evenings in the summer, uh he would often want to go to uh, Sunningdale, the, where we played golf, and hit golf balls. And Sunningdale was very strict uh, at that time about children playing. But Dad would hit some balls, and then he would go, and we'd play two holes together. And once we were out of view of the clubhouse, he'd say, okay, Pat, it's your turn. And I would swing the club. I'm I must have been six years old, maybe seven. That's one of my fondest memories of one-on-one uh, -on -one time with Dad and golf. Um, Stephen and David are here. We grew up in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. And at the time, we had a, a pretty sizable backyard for uh, on Henry Street. And what about you, David? You're the eldest. Did, did you, was it, was it a formal give, thing? I mean, my earliest, earliest memories, actually, is our father... Uh, swinging the golf club in the living room. Right. Things that you could not get away with these days. We had a substantial living room with a mirror. I, I now realize the value of the mirror. You know, I've, I've never thought of myself as a narcissist, but like a lot of golfers, I can't pass a mirror without checking out my swing. That's hilarious. So, so he had a large mirror and, and carpet and a wiffle ball. And, and I can't say how often, but enough that the carpet wore out. That's right. Uh, sitting in the living room, hitting balls in the wintertime. And I never quite understood what this fascination was swinging a golf club. So that's, you know, contextually, I remember growing up, uh, you know, I just assumed, you know, people's dads were golfers, right? That was 
contextual. What about you, Steve? So I would offer that as a first memory. Uh, it's, it's funny you mentioned that, David. I, I remember that as well. And I was thinking, I don't think I'd get away with that today. Um, but my, I remember being in the backyard, and Dad would go out there um, with one of his wedges, and he would chip balls. I'd get my uh, glove, and I'd be catching balls. And, I, I mean, I look back on it now, and I, re- and I can remember, and I can now appreciate kind of how good he was. Yeah. But yeah. it's like we'd sit there for hours just catching balls, and it was just, you know, just what we did. You hey, know? Stephen, I know you're a, a media tycoon. Just be careful when you're moving that mic around because I'm getting a little noise. Um, sure. I would say the same thing. I remember... Not so much swinging in the living room, although we did have a nice mirror there. I do remember that, Steve, that I would do that, too. Like, I'd take my baseball glove, and my dad was, uh, our dad is Lou Glassman. And my father, you know, I don't, I, I think at his very best was probably a six or seven handicap, single-digit handicap. But I will tell you this, our mutual obsession with the golf swing came from our father, because my dad was really an early adopter of technical stuff he loved reading about it the store that my father owned had all golf digest everywhere and so we were lucky in that you know for the most part when we put our hands on a golf club today and i look down you know at age 60 my that grip is exactly the grip we were all taught to varying degrees by our father in the backyard chipping balls the uh my memories of dad in golf was him taking me caddying. Yeah. That was, that was, that's my earliest memories. Cause it back in those days when you were, you know, 10, 11, 12, that was a way you could make some money before you mm-hmm. could got like real jobs. And that's how I got introduced to the game. Um, but it was interesting. I just kind of, as I got, as golf got its hooks into me and I started to play and whatnot. And it, as a, as a young adult, I so wanted to play well with my dad because he was a good player and he was always working on his game and tinkering away. But I tell you, when I played with him as a young adult, I wanted to play well and show him how good I was. Right. um, Almost to make him proud of me. And there was times in which it was really a lot of fun, but I, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself and I just wanted to get a sample from everyone else in terms of what happened for them in terms of playing with dad and, and could you just have a good time or was there almost self-imposed pressure? Pat, what do you want to say there? You know, Tim, I know exactly what you're talking about. I remember playing at Thames Valley in London and uh, I had a hit a shot into a, uh, one, a green and I fanned an nine iron to the right and I got mad. And I remember thinking, why am I mad? And this little <laughs> voice comes to me and he says, you're mad because you're trying to impress your father. And this was when I was in my early thirties, I realized I'm, pl- I, you know, there's a part of us and I think maybe we, I'd like to hear other guys talk about this, but we hold on to that desire to uh, impress our fathers. At least I did. I still do. I'm sure to some degree. Steve, what did you you know? Yeah. Steve, you had your hand up. I was just thinking, uh, you know, we went from the, the, my earliest memory of, of, of being on the, on the course or working with my dad in golf. But my, my last memory was uh, Dad and I on the driving range 
at the country club in Moose Jaw, and it was this kind of a downtrodden range. And there's Dad in a in the in the cart with his cane whacking at my <laughs> <laughs> whacking at my club. And uh, you talk about being mad. I mean, our, on the range, this it was always friction, right? And you know, Dad had a million sayings of which I can repeat most of them, but is one of my favorite was uh, you're, you're not good enough to be mad. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> which I've heard Howard repeat. I, I have, so if you want a kind of an alpha omega about our dad, uh, in, in the week that he died, and he had a pretty elegant uh, death, wasn't long, wasn't suffering, but two days before he died, um, he's getting a little bit of a, a rub down by the nurse, a little bit of a washing. And, and that week, he was kind of in and out of sleep. It was, we'd wake up and say things. But amongst the best things I heard him say that week is the nurse was rubbing him. He, he woke up out of nowhere and said, and I think you might have been there, Howard. He said, let, let the club do the work. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You know, <laughs> that may be his last words. Maybe. It, it, may, it may have been. You know, we, uh, so my, our father passed away in uh, late October of 2006. And I think, were you not with us? Labor Day of that year in Moose Jaw, David. Well, may, I, anyway, I, I, I was there. I, so six weeks or seven weeks before he died, I played golf with him. And I remember getting back to Toronto. We played a few rounds, and we always talked about technique. And I remember getting on the phone with him, and he said to me, I'm having a little trouble with my backswing. And this is like 84 years old. And I remember saying to him, dude, you're just lucky to have a backswing at this point. Like he was literally trying to figure out, was he moving the club too far inside on the way back, you know, on the way out? Um, So we'll talk a little bit about uh, fathers and the influence on, I wanted to see what you guys thought of this notion. The idea that our dads kind of integrated us or introduced us to the culture of men through golf, or the, let me, let me put it less uh, gender specifically, the culture of adults, I think, is what I I remember learning from my dad around golf, the way to act, the etiquette of the game, and while you're learning all those things about where to stand in a golf course, you're kind of also absorbing how grown-ups interact with each other. Pat, does that land for you? Absolutely. You know, like Tim talked about being a caddy, I caddy too at Sunningdale. And uh, <clears throat> I remember, you know, getting put on the bag, some of these incredibly heavy leather bags that weighed 40, 50 pounds, and you just made it through. But the guys would be swearing and smoking and telling off color jokes and uh, drinking gin on the 11th hole. <laughs> and, you know, and I've, this was my introduction to, to the culture of golf and, and men. Absolutely. Absolutely. Steve, uh, David, you know, being around, like I worked at the Moose Jaw Golf and Curling Club, and until I was well into my 20s, I thought CC meant curling club and instead of country club. But I, I learned what, what grown-ups, as Pat just said, how they bantered with each other, what the, you know, sort of the, the vibe was. You guys understand? Does that make any sense to you? I, you know, I, I also caddied for Dad, uh, and I remember um, – we, you know, I often caddied for him at Clear Lake. And, you know, I learned pretty quickly, 
you know, where to stand and how to keep my mouth shut and, and all of those <laughs> things you learn. But it's interesting that um, uh, fast forward to now when I golf with people, uh, I can often tell people who hadn't didn't have a father to golf with because uh, outside of how well they play, uh, just how they conduct themselves on the course is something that, uh, you, you know, I learned all of that from hanging around as a caddy. And, and so people who didn't have that sort of background, you can tell uh, watching them today that, that they might have missed something. You know what I right. mean? David? Um, I, I don't think I caddied that much for Dad, uh, but I do remember, like all of us seem to have the same memory of caddying. Uh, I, I just remember that golf was so implicit in in the family culture. Um, I don't know if you guys, I don't want you to be jealous, but I got a set of clubs for my bar mitzvah, right? Really? Not from Dad, but I think Dad <laughs> gave me a, a dozen golf balls or something. But but it was just just part of the culture. You you know you turned thirteen, you got a set of clubs, and and you started to golf. Now, unfortunately for me, I didn't keep it up in the in the middle in the middle years. But but I also think that you know Dad's demeanor for the most part reflected the, the the demeanor of a golf golfer and i think golfing also produced to, to some degree his his demeanor um right. we got a couple catholics here did you guys get some clubs for your bar mitzvah <laughs> uh, no i didn't i didn't but what I, what I wanted to chime in with was the influence that my dad had on me was around the relationship around golf and it was always this aspirational thing to try and get better at this infernal game. And so as, as adults, it was like we would we'd meet, you know, we'd bring the kids and you'd talk. Dad would go, how are the kids? How's things going? What's going on with, uh, with work? And once that was out of the way, you could get into the real stuff. Yeah. <laughs> How's your backswing? What are you working on? And Dad would yeah. always have something. He was the consummate tinkerer. He always had something he was working on. You talk to him, you know, in May, and you say, "Oh, I'm pausing at the top." In yeah. June, it'd be, "Oh, I'm refocusing <laughs> on turning my left hip." And <clears throat> by July, it was something else completely. And oh man, that so seeped into me that that I was I was the habitual tinkerer looking for something that influence came to me and oh my gosh <laughs> yeah i because i think a lot of us you know tinkerers i think there's an and, and believe me i've replaced lou as the one these two will call and go listen my backswing is a little bit should i have a is my right elbow but i know this like almost every conversation i had with our father at, after a certain age, it was like, hey, I just had a baby. What about that round you played? You know what I mean? Like, it was yeah. every conversation had some golf element to it. Do you guys find that, Pat? You know, I think if I'm not mistaken, dad went and hit golf balls when one of us, one of the kids, were being born. I'm quite sure. Mom's yes. in labor in the hospital. Was that you, Tim? Uh, I don't know who it was, but I think it was actually on mom's direction. He, Dad oh, was just okay. like this anxious, n nervous Nelly. She says, go, go away. Go hit balls. And that's what he did. But, you know, Tim, I have to say that perhaps the whole swing thoughts, um, uh, mental performance thing comes out of the fact that, <clears throat> I'll say for myself, sometimes Dad would drive me crazy when he'd come home and he said, 
I've got it. I figured it out. Right. The magic. I just have to do this. <laughs> That's true. And, and you solve the whole thing. And then, of course, <laughs> the next Saturday, <laughs> it'd be something else. But maybe this is your reaction to this, Tim. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's interesting. People talk about getting advice. And uh, this may make no sense. But, uh, like, our father was always giving us advice on how we were swinging or what we were doing with the club. And it's interesting because even, and that's sort of carried through to this day when I go out with my buddies, you know, we've all played for a while and, and the conversation on the course is always about what each other is doing. Whereas again, um, you know, people who haven't had that sort of background with a dad like ours sometimes take advice as a, as a, as a source of friction. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. And and also with Dad, if you guys remember, his nickname around the course was Sweet Lou. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and we were very I always, proud of that. Well, yeah. Well, except when I heard that, I was like, "What, really?" <laughs> I, I, I want to chime in on what Steve said and get David to react to it. Like that friction piece. Oh yeah. See, Dad so wanted us to play well. He had this thing. He said, "You know, I always look forward to the day my sons can hit it past me." And now that that day is here. I'm not sure I like it so much. No, exactly. But, you know, let's say I'd miss like a three foot putt or something, and I'd be steaming and I'd be mad. Dad, go, oh, a little flippy wrist there, eh? Like, dude, give me, <laughs> you know, give I'm me, 11. Give me, yeah, give me a couple of seconds here to recover. So <laughs> I would get like pissed off at him. So David, did that happen to you? Uh, once. Yeah, one. What <laughs> one, one, I remember. Uh once in my 40s playing golf with him and some of his buddies and uh, he he could needle people a little bit it was a bit of his persona as well you know we're don't want to get too deep into that but i remember being on uh i i, I can i think it was the uh the 11th 11th hole at the the, the con- golf and country club or curling club as howard would say it and he had been needling me about something all round and uh, and I was about to hit, and he said something. I sort of turned to Lou and his buddies. I said one more word, <laughs> you know? and it was you know it's like the, you know, there's that archetype of at some point you have to kill the king. And it was at that point he said he said nothing more. <laughs> right, but it was uh, but that was the point where I guess you fully grow up. Right. Yeah. Pat O'Connor, you had your uh, Pat had his hand up there. Here's what we're going to do, guys, uh, because this has taken uh, most of this first segment. Um, what we'll do is we're going to take a break here in about 90 seconds for our radio audience. And then we'll come back, Tim, do a couple more minutes with these uh, brothers of ours. And then we'll wrap up like we always do uh, the last 10 minutes on our own. Yes, Pat. So in 60 seconds, Pat, uh, give me what you were going to say and then we'll take a break. Okay. I'm playing in the Club C. This is 10 years ago. Tim caddies for me on the Saturday. Dad offers to caddy for me on the Sunday with a golf cart. He was very sick at this time with kidney disease. I'm two over par on the 12th hole, and I hit, I chunk a nine iron, and Dad <laughs> says, you hit it fat. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, eh? No, yeah, no kidding, I did. So the next hole, I'm standing over the ball. I'm two over par. 
And all of a sudden I hear, mm! and I look over and my dad has fallen out of the golf cart. My <laughs> <laughs> heart is pounding. I, I think something's like he's had a heart attack or something. I'm so jacked up. I said, don't, don't hit the ball too hard. Don't swing too hard. Anyway, I fanned it. By the 15th hole, I was so exhausted from the adrenaline <laughs> letdown. I went six over par, shot 80. <laughs> That's hysterical. But Listen, guys, uh, Pat O'Connor, Stephen Glassman, David Glassman, Tim O'Connor, and Howard Glassman. We'll continue our talk. It's a Father's Day Swing Thoughts special uh, brought to you by TaylorMade Golf, and we'll be right back here on TSN 1150. Uh, welcome back uh, to TSN 1150's Swing Thoughts, the uh, golf podcast with a difference, the uh, mental performance part of the game. Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca is here. Uh, I'm Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show, and it's a special edition, the Father's Day edition, including all our brothers, or some of them, Pat O'Connor here from Banff, Alberta, David Glassman from Calgary, Alberta, Edmonton Steve is here, as always brought to you by TaylorMade Golf, the all-new Sim and Sim Max drivers reshape your game today. Visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca to learn about the new Shape in Motion family of tailor-made products. Uh, O'Connor, I'll tell you, this is a great idea, getting all the boys here talking about dads and golf, and uh, let's get right back to it. Tim, what were you going to ask the guys? I was going to say, when we're playing golf now, do you have times in which you do things or say things and you go, oh my gosh, that was Dennis, my father, or that was Lou? I'll tell you, I constantly have all these sayings come all the time. Uh, things that happen and just something will just jump out of my mouth. And the one that's coming out most these days is something that dad would say a lot. He'd go, golf giveth and taketh away. <laughs> yeah. Although it mostly, mostly taketh. That's right. <laughs> Anything come to you guys in terms of um, the favorite sayings that you hear yourself repeating from dear old dad? There's something I always say, and it, it comes from dad because, you know, you'd walk off uh, the green and you say, if I had two putted, you know, if I had did this. And dad always used to say, family show. If, if. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, <I'll> <laughs> he would always say what, Pat? He would say, if my aunt had... Yes, he'd be my uncle, yes. He'd be my uncle, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Now, David and Stephen, I don't know if you guys find yourself, you know, um, either reflecting on something that you were taught, excuse me, or or something you use to this day, or some memory of something you learned. I can tell you that to this day, I hate slow play. You know, and I I mean, that started with Dad, and I, I, I kind of have to control my temper, which I also, you know. <laughs> That's we also temper. got that from him. <laughs> yeah. uh, so and and you know, it's like 
so I, you know, I get that sort of sense of how I want to move around the course from dad. Yeah. Uh, I hate bad etiquette. Yeah. You know, it's just those little things that, uh, uh, you know, I'm not a great golfer, but I, I, I'm, clear about how I like to play. Yeah, before you answer, Dave, you know, like I, I played yesterday with my partner, Fred, who doesn't golf very much, and he, he plays enough to get it around the golf course, but you could really see what you said, Stephen, about somebody that didn't grow up in the culture of the game because he doesn't know that. I, I would say, listen, you know, wherever I put my cart, you put your cart because that's where we're going to walk off the green to the next tee. And those are the I know they seem silly to golfers, but those are the things that in the culture of the game, you can just tell when somebody knows those things, where to stand on the green, where to go. David, what about you? I, I wouldn't say so much a, a, a golf specific. I understand what you're saying about, you know, where to stand, where to put your cart, which to this day. I, I I know my girlfriend's listening. She's he still don't do a great job on. <laughs> I, I, I that's a different conversation. But I but I yeah. do think the a lot of stuff coming uh, out his, on this show. By the way, yeah, yeah, his his, per, his persona of of politeness. Yeah, right. Um, you know, in golf golf etiquette. You know that that part. I think I've I've acquired. You know, there's a kind of how you behave in public, uh, and I think to this day, the other, the, the best one, of course, was let the club do the work. But I, I've already told that story. But but there's a certain sense of of effortlessness there. Yeah. Right. Of, of not trying. So to this day, I remember what his swing looked like. Uh, absolutely, and, and, I've, and I've never replicated it. Well, you know, I, I can tell you, um, and I've seen both. <laughs> I've seen both of you play, and you play very nicely. I would say this that you know the the grip that I have. Um, you know, I even to this day, people will look at my the way I put my hands on a club and and say, you know, like you know, you have a good grip or whatever, a good hold on the club. And I, when like I said to you earlier, when I look down, it's exactly the way I was taught. But my memory of playing with Lou. Uh, and our father was, as David said, fairly polite, very courteous in public, and uh, never said the F word, at least when I was a kid. He didn't swear in front of us. In fact, as I got older, I was always reticent to swear in front of him because he wasn't one of those guys. I don't know about your dads, uh, Pat, and um, is it Tim? But but uh, it, it just wasn't part of my dad's, We might say, you know, the S word once in a while, but didn't swear in front of us. Right. So the first time I heard my dad say the F word was on a golf course. <laughs> and it so freaked me out. I might have been 12 or 13, and we were playing our little nine holes, and he was taking, it was a, he had a long putt, and I was holding the flag for him. You know when we used to be able to do that? And uh, he was taking a long time, so I'm getting bored. I started looking around, and what I didn't realize is I was... Moving the flag, going whack whack whack, like just kind of moving. Just I was kind of like you know what kids do. I just kind of got into moving it because it seemed fun, and I didn't realize he was about to putt. And finally, I guess he got frustrated, and he looks up at me, and goes, "What the f are you doing?" But he, as he said the f word, he caught it in his mouth, so it came out. What the fuck are you doing? And. It, it freaked me out so much, I almost dropped the flag because I'd never heard him say it before. But he said it so awkwardly, I was almost not sure he was saying it right. <laughs> uh, and I almost wanted, I, I, I almost wanted to I say, would, to, what's that? 
I was going to, I remember when that happened because you came home and the first thing you did was tell me and like, neither of us could believe it. No, I know. Because I, 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 at first I want to say, I don't think you're saying that word right. I don't think that's how you pronounce it. But it was so weird. And it's, a, it is in a memory, like I can tell you exactly what hole it was on the golf course because I've never forgot it. You know what? I think that's probably why my dad didn't like me to caddy in the same group he was playing in. He, he made that clear. He, he told Jim Windsor, the pro at our club, don't have Tim Caddy in our group, please. Because it would just, it just shut him down. Um, yeah. Cause he wanted, he just, he wanted to hang with his buddies. Yeah. He just wanted to have, and to me, the golf for him and for me, and I think for everyone, male or female, it's about escape. It's about having a good time, leaving the concern about family and stuff, your business. You just hang out on the on the golf course and enjoy golf, like like David Owen's wife said to him, the, the golf writer. What do you guys talk about? Golf. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I know. Um, my daughter's staying with me, and on Sunday she said, "What are you going to do?" I said, "Well, I'm going to go golf. Then I'm going to take the dog and hit some chip shots while I'm walking the dog. Then I'm going to watch golf." And then possibly go into my laboratory and work on my game some more. And she went, you're really in your heaven these days. I said, yes, I am. Uh, any final thoughts from you, Patrick O'Connor, our Father's Day special? We certainly appreciate you being here. Yeah, it's been really a great – it's really been great to to be a part of this. Um, you know, I, I just wrote a little note to myself. My father, Dennis, taught us – and I'll – taught us – the love of the game. And I think somehow the love of the game is the love of life. And I think to love the game and to love life is to love my dad, you know, um, because whenever Tim and I and, and Sean, my brother, Sean, when we get together and we talk about dad, inevitably it turns to golf. Of course. And so it golf was a vehicle through which to love our father. Mm -hmm. And I think in reverse for him to love us, too, because he gave us the game. Steven, you're the middle child, so we'll give you the second last word here and let... Uh... Old man Dave. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I remember uh, when we went and played, there was the four of us were in Moose Jaw, and we had what we called the Glass Masters. <laughs> That's yes. right. And uh, nice. so we, and it was like all we did was was golf, and then after golf, we got into the house and we watched golf, and then we put the the little carpet on the floor and we hit balls while we were watching golf, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was the, the thing that kind of brought us together. And mm -hmm. uh, that was a fun, fun weekend. Unfortunately, I don't think we repeated it. Uh, well, David? Steve, if you could come to Toronto, we could play with Howard. That's my boy. Cause there see what happened is, asking. Hey, wait, Pat and uh, Tim, what you don't know is David, who will make an effort to come to Toronto and play golf quite regularly, actually. Steven's like, F you, Howard, F you, Toronto, F you, golf. Dave, please, the final word. I, 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 I'm reminded of, you know, that old philosophical thing about, you know, the question, what's the world standing on? Somebody says turtles. What are the turtles standing on? More turtles. So I think in our case, our families, you know, what are we standing on golf? And, and what's golf standing on? More golf. <laughs> and, I, and I guess it's golf all the way down. 
Oh, absolutely. So, uh, like yeah. I said, you know, very few conversations I had with our father and, and almost no conversations that three of us have, including two weeks ago, David's daughter gave birth to our first grandson in the family. And I guarantee you, after we said congratulations, we were talking about golf. <laughs> true. So true. Listen, you guys, thank you very much. We've got to get to uh, some of the business of Swing Thoughts. Patrick O'Connor, thank you, Stephen. Listen, Toronto's, you know, come out and visit, for God's sake. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Uh, David, very nice, as always, to have you on the program. And uh, end meeting. meeting. Happy Father's Day, everyone. Happy Father's Day to you, boys. Happy Father's Day. All right. Thanks, bro. Nice to meet you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Look at that. Everyone's leaving now. And it's just me and Tim. Pat won't go. He, he, I think Pat just wants to hang around. I Bye, think he's Pat. trying. He's, he has that grimace <laughs> thing. There it is. There we go. Yeah. Well, that was fun. That was a great idea. Thank you. That was a great idea. Um, yeah, the uh, my father had a store, a uh, tiny menswear store, and it, it was a long, narrow building. A footprint, and uh, I never. I used to go there. We all three of us worked for him, cleaning up and stuff. But my dad had a what would just be the handle of a broom, not the actual. So the stick part, <laughs> and uh, there was a long mirror at the back. And I remember he would kill most of the time in between customers, looking at his swing. And as a kid, you're kind of like, what, "What is what is this?" But as David said, now I can't pass a mirror. Or get out of an elevator. If I'm in an elevator by myself, I'm you know I'm looking down, seeing on my right elbow is it folding fast enough, and that is definitely the legacy I got from my father. Yeah, I I think I got a lot of really bad dad jokes from my dad. Oh yeah, but my my dad had he would always say this. I I can recall right now, clear as day, being in our driveway in Ottawa. And my dad, on a Saturday morning, he would always say the same thing. Hey, Dad, where are you going? I'm going to see a man about a horse. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was always the same. He always had the same lines. And, and that was part of the, the fun of it, the, almost like the ritual. Yeah. And I think that's so much of what golf continues to be. And I think that's why it's really interesting when you ask people why they play golf. So many times it's that connection to being with dad, uh, being with family, having that, having a, a great time, uh, the lessons you learn. But I'll tell you one thing that I, I have a bit of a re- regret around, but I think it's part of getting older, is that I wish that when I played with him in my 30s and, and my 40s is more that I wish I just relished being with him on a golf yeah. course a little bit more. I agree. Rather than being caught in my own thing about trying to play well and all that stuff. But I think that's part of just the uh, maturation process. I, I uh, totally agree. I wish I would have... I, I, I had a very strong connection with him through golf. Not, not that David and Steven didn't, but I never gave it up. Like, those guys kind of were introduced to the game, and then they sort of faded into other sports. And both of them are decent players but they kind of came back to golf much later in life i don't know how much later but you know whereas i kind of got good early and he was fascinated by i didn't want to do this part in front of them but he was fascinated by my development as i got better and better and better because i just hung around it all the time i worked there 
but I but but ability aside, I really learned the world of grown ups through golf and my father. You know, I, I worked at the golf course. I, I learned to say, Mr. So-and-so and Mr. O'Connor, can I get your clubs? And I, I understood. I worked in the pro shop. You know, I was Lou's kid, but I was also this guy that was around the course all the time. I learned about gambling and smoking cigarettes. I mean, I learned it all hanging around golf. And that, I think, more than anything I learned from my dad specifically was the entree into that world is what I benefited most. Hundred percent. I learned about the adult world in terms of the things around, say, respect. Yeah. Like every man, every older man was Mister. Absolutely. Whereas I see kids constantly. Like this sounds horrible. Sounds like such old guy stuff. But kids today, I I found it. I always found it weird when my kids would talk to my next door neighbor who's an adult and say, "Hey, Ray." Yeah. No, that's Mister. Whatever his, I forget his name, but you no, know, it's always Mister Smith. The same way it's Mister Hogan. It's Mister Uline. Timmy, I'll that tell you, uh, both of my brothers would concur. We were never allowed to call my father's friends by their first name. It wasn't until we were grown ups that I ever did. Well, you know? until they invited you to do it. But yeah, you, know, you know, when we were kids, all his golf buddies, I always called Mister So and So to them. Now, when exactly. I got older and played golf with them, then we could talk man to man but it wasn't until i was a uh, you know later in life and i'd come back to moose jaw and i'd play around um i just wonder it's a how... great it's a great trait to have absolutely and... okay let's do a little uh swing thoughts for our uh our audience um you know we've been going back and forth uh this season about you know sort of the traditional th- themes of improvement without you know taking apart your golf swing and why you know, we think that having a better mental approach, whatever that is, can really help you with your game and also in, enjoy the game more. I mean, that's really the bottom line. So you wanted to talk a little bit about what you guys are working on with your putting. And then I'm going to give you an idea. It's a physical idea, but it's going to help, uh, I think, with some mental nervousness around putting. And so why don't you start with the uh, the missed putts from last weekend? You know, um, yeah, well, it was really interesting last week so it's the first pga tour golf in 13 weeks and there we go you have have basically the worst nightmare for golfers particularly amateurs mm-hmm. in the heat of the moment you have uh xander shoffley miss what the that wicked 360 lip out from two and a half feet or so and then in the playoff uh colin morikawa from maybe even closer he has he has a bit of a lip out there and for most amateur golfers, that would be an absolute nightmare. But those guys, they get over it. But the thing is, is that what happens to so many people is that it's almost like a trauma that they have that short putt. You go, oh, my gosh, is it going to happen again? Mm-hmm. So the thing I've been talking with some people at these webinars I've been doing is, is and maybe this is a, a nice takeaway for our listeners, is rather than being stuck in your head, make putting as all parts of the game, make it a physical thing. Focus on the club head. Focus on the target. Something external from you. So rather than being in your head, thinking, thinking, accelerate, keep a head down, blah, 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 you can focus on something else to keep your mind busy. And particularly that that external focus thing, the hole, when we go to the hole, it just, it just makes it so much easier. And the body goes, oh, you want me to hit it there? Fine, I'll do that. As opposed to thinking which is usually fear-based stuff. Oh, I hope I don't look like an idiot and miss from two feet. And to 
to add to that, if you think, and I and listen, you and I both, hey, you know, I should tell people that are new, Tim and I aren't professional golfers, but there are very few people I've ever met that have thought more about this stuff than you and I. But <laughs> That's why trust, we're doing this. Trust me when I say Tim and I have both uh, individually and as a group had access to some of the most famous golf instructors and instruction in the world, you know? I've been in the McLean School. I've had a, a lesson with Sean Foley. I, you know, I, I could go on and on and on. And what I've learned and what I think we want to pass on to people is there's just no way to think about moving your body with words and language and expect you're going to be able to hit anything of meaning. You know, the analogy I've been harping on this season is ping pong. You are you're you're playing. Yes, it's reaction, but you're playing a sport and your brain is in the paddle and your brain says, I want to cut it. Your brain says, I want to hit some overspin. You don't really have to think about that when your brains in the the instrument, as my friend Henrik would say, then it's in the right place because the instrument ultimately hits it to the destination. And if you absolutely and and trying to move your torso and your elbows and your arms and your loading and your unloading, we can tell you with full authority it ain't gonna work for you. It just won't. Now I know you can talk about block practice versus whatever, and yes, you can work on something in your practice, but in the game play, it's impossible to try and program a movement and expect the ball to go where you want it to go. Exactly. And it's, it, but what we're talking about works so much against the culture of golf and maybe culture in general, and, and, because we celebrate people who think in this culture. And it comes to me constantly. I do these webinars and I'll talk for, for 50 minutes, five, zero minutes about not thinking, make golf a physical game. And I'll ask for questions. And guys say, <laughs> uh, what should I think about when I've got a three foot putt? And, and it's like, oh, well, how about don't think? What, what do you mean? Like, what, you know, I just hit the ball? Yeah. How about you just let your body do what it knows how to do? You'll ask these guys, how many rounds do you play a year? Everyone from like 30 to 100. I think, well, you know what? You've probably hit enough putts in your life. Yeah. But you know how to do this thing. So in essence, what I'm saying is stay out of the way. Stay out of the way. You, your body will look at it in the same way when you play catch in the backyard, football, golf, and you can throw that ball and it'll get to whoever you're throwing it to because that's the target. The body just it, it figures out how much force, where to release it. You don't have to think about that stuff. You know, back to Xander Shoffley and uh, Morikawa. You know, they both lipped out on the same hole. Yeah. Which, even though it's only a sample size of two, those two represent the thinnest edge of golf excellent on this planet. And so there is an argument that that hole might have been a bit sharp, because I don't think Morikawa hit a bad putt. He says he did, but I didn't think he yanked it or pushed it so much as that, you know, sometimes they cut those lips... And it kind of had a hard spin out. But back yeah, to I thought the, of that too. But it, that too. it's all about the way you interpret it. So if you miss a few, golf's a tough game, and you're bound to miss a few over the course of a season. Versus now, I suck at putting. <laughs> exactly. Now I because you're basic. We all do that, you know. Like if you three putt a few times, then every three putt becomes part of the three putt story. 
exactly. You create a story. You start to identify with it. Oh, I missed three putts. Therefore, I suck at putting. Yeah. Therefore, my stroke is bad. Therefore, I need to practice more. I mean, how many times? I mean, you and I have both done this. You have a tough time on the greens. So you go, I've spent like two hours, two hours putting, go out the next day, have three, three putts and five holes. Yeah. What goes on? Because it's not around, folks, the quality of your stroke. Yeah, you you know you need to work on stuff, but it's the quality of your attention. It's the quality of the amount of of physical tension that's going on because it's your thinking and the story. So the more you can just kind of be making it a physical thing like we're talking about, focusing on that target, feeling the putter release in your hands and just go – that way you get out of uh, you get out of your own way. One of the things, and I'm going to give uh, I'm going to give my uh, secret putting tip. That's it. Yes, Wait yes. for our podcast extra. Do you have time for like an extra five minutes for a secret? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> So uh, we're going to wrap up here on TSN 1150, but uh, if you go to uh, Swing Thoughts on Facebook, I will give you my secret putting tip that you can only get. Uh, thanks to uh, David, Stephen, uh, Glassman, and Patrick O'Connor. Thank you very much to uh, TaylorMade for uh, sponsoring this program, TaylorMadeGolf.ca. If people would like a Tim O'Connor webinar, and it would be a very good investment for you or your company, how do people do that? Uh, oh, thanks, Howard. Uh, just go to O'ConnorGolf.ca, and um, there's all those links to click on and whatnot. You know, and now with uh, Zoom, you can get uh, Tim in your home or your office <laughs> for, uh, for whenever it's convenient. Uh, more at Swing Thoughts on Facebook. And thanks to everyone at TSN 1150. And we'll see you next Saturday. A man is blowing Dixie, double ball time. All right. So I played yesterday, didn't three putt once. I think it's only my second round this year where I didn't have one three putt. And um, just a couple of little, one little secret thing. Not a secret. You know, because we often talk. Are you still there? I am here, and I'm mesmerized. Okay, we often talk about. about me. You're about to lay on me a tip that's going to open the keys to Nirvana. Sir, this is the key to the kingdom right here. <laughs> Um, because, and this isn't to uh, take away from what we talked about, <clears throat> because, yeah, you know, feel and target orientation and, you know, not all those things are great. But as you all, you sort of alluded to, you know, if your st- stroke is h- horrible and you're aimed incorrectly and you you have no... You're not lined up right. Doesn't matter how much you're in your body, you're going to miss the putt. You're going to you're going to have to do something to compensate. So what I would suggest, because you're working with Mike Martz, who's a brilliant, or, or if somebody's not working with, I would just take a little time and invest in: Are you lined up correctly? Is the putter face where it's supposed to be? Get someone to look behind you, and it's really simple. Even your buddies can help you. Like, okay, I think it's pointed. You know, one cup to the right, and it might be left, and and so learn that. Um, so for me, I was I was having trouble releasing the putter because the ball was too far back in my stance. Now, listen, golf is mental, but there's also a geometric component. If the ball is too far back, 
your hands get there too soon, the club face is open, it can't release, etc. So I, I, I was having trouble with distance control, which is ridiculous because I've hit thousands of putts. And I was talking to Henrik, who was our guest last week, and he said, well, your ball's probably too far. This is over the phone. It yeah. says, says, your ball's probably too far back in your stance. I'm like, really? Sure enough, I go out the next day, a little practice, and I put it up just kind of inside my toe. And right away, the arc of the putter comes back. And my natural ability to judge distance is back because now the, 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 the putt is not being hit. It's being rolled off the blade. So beautiful, right? And uh, right away, my distance control was like, you know, fine. And again, I, I caution everyone. It, it's not that it, the body isn't, you know, it's not, I'm not trying to, um, what am I trying to say? I'm not trying to... Uh, go against what we say on the show, but there are some basics you need to embrace. Absolutely. Okay. What you're talking about there is generally around the whole thing around awareness. Right. And sometimes sometimes things are in our blind spots. So we need other people to 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 uncover them and tell them what's going on. Like, you know, do you see that you're you're aimed way out to the right. Oh, I thought I was right on. No, we'll take a look. Well, obviously you're not. That's in the blind spot. Yep. So sometimes it comes from dis- from instruction, and often it comes from just self discovery. Yesterday on the range, I was trying to hit. I've been drawing the ball with my driver, and I got out there, and I I was getting frustrated. I couldn't draw my driver. And I went, wait a second. Maybe today's just a different day. Yeah. So I went. Let's just see what we got here. Fades. It, I had a fade going last night. Maybe it was the wind. Maybe whatever was going on. And maybe your body feels different day to day. Exactly. Exactly. So go ahead. So here's the secret, though. That wasn't the secret. Here's the secret. Here's the secret. So right away, my speed comes back and my distance control was just bang on. Then I went out with Henrik and we had a little playing lesson a couple days ago. We just went out to Rattlesnake, played like... 12 or 13 holes at night. It was beautiful. Just the two of us hitting shots. And he would say, okay, I want you to draw it off that tree or cut it, blah, 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 blah. Showed me some cool stuff. But then I was like, he said, you know, he said, let me ask. He said, let me show, let me see your putting grip. And I have a pretty standard. I don't, you know, it's a, you know, they call it a reverse overlap, you know, where my left hand, and you just look it up. I don't, I don't cross hand. Learn from Lou. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And uh, he said to me uh, something I'd never been asked before. He said, do you feel any pressure in your forefinger of the right hand and your thumb? And I'm saying, what? He said, because I'm watching you, because I was putting pretty well that day. I mean, I'd already made a couple birdies. And he said, because uh, it seems to me like you, 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 you're, you fan a lot of putts. Like, they, they, like you're pushing them still. Even though they were going the right distance, I couldn't get them to kind of start on my line. And I said, what are you asking me? Because I thought I had, like, equal pressure. I never really even thought about my bottom hand, my right hand. And sure enough, here's what he said. He said, think about your right thumb and forefinger. Imagine if there were no grip and you were just holding the shaft. You'd, you, you, would, you have to control the toe of the club. He said, the left hand is the heel and the right hand is the toe. And I'm going to tell you, friends, because, you know, you, when you watch good putters, whether it's Faxon or old uh, Ben Crenshaw or Tiger, when you watch them, as that putter goes, watch my hand, that toe 
And Tiger said this. He said, I look at putting. When I think of putting, it's a race between the toe and the heel, and the toe just slightly wins. So what that what happens is it's like your golf swing. You get to sort of see the toe passes the heel. Well, I'm telling you, O'Connor, I'd never heard that in my life. I've been playing this since I was 11 years old. And I'm not talking about squeezing it. I'm just talking mm-hmm. about being aware that that has to have... You're holding it with both hands. But I will tell you, Tim, until two days ago, I never thought of what that right hand was doing. And why would I? I just never I never thought of it. But it's like your regular swing. You don't just swing with your left hand. That right hand does something. It, It's the art of it. Well, I went out yesterday, and here's the funny thing. I made some putts, but I missed lots of putts by lipping them out because they were all going at the hole. And And I said to my buddy, I said... I had a great putting day and made nothing because I could, and I know that's dichotomous, but I just putted great, but, but they just slightly lipped up. They were all going just that little awareness, just the thumb and forefinger got me to make that toe do something as opposed to just hoping it did something or even not even being aware it should do something. Well, I'm going to tell you, wow. sons, that's the key to the kingdom right there. That is. That is awesome. And and so how about I offer you this? So right now this is the king to your key to your kingdom, because that's a distinction that you now have become aware of that you previously were not. Exactly. So if we take it back to our um our guru, Fred Shoemaker, he always talks about awareness. So he says that what awareness is missing, the presence of which would make all the difference. And so the awareness that was missing in you that Paul picked up was the awareness of, of the role of the thumb and the forefinger. So now you have a, have this awareness you didn't have before. And that's where master, we start to engage in mastery is all increased awareness. So most, I mean, yes, you have the Michael Jordans, the Tiger Woods, the Wayne Gretzky's of the world. They're cut. They appear to be cut from a different cloth. You know, Agreed. To, the, the Lucky Sperm Club, all that good stuff. They they have this inordinate amount of talent, but the rest of us folks, we've all we, we didn't get uh, short sheeted <laughs> in terms of the genes to be athletic. So people who do really well in anything generally just have more awareness yeah. than we do. Anyone who's great at anything, you, you look at like I'm in Outliers, Malcolm McDowell's uh, Malcolm McDowell's uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell's book. He talked about how did the Beatles become so good? They they had that uh, they had that gig in the bar. And I th- and it was in it was called the the Cavern Club or the Cave in Hamburg. Exactly. And they were and playing they play- six or seven hours a night. Exactly. So you get in that many reps, you that much, you get that much experience. Your awareness grows and grows and grows because distinction upon distinction upon distinction. Right. So what you've come across. For you, and I would judge for a lot of people, too, you now have an awareness of the role of that thumb and forefinger that you didn't have before. And it just adds to that lexicon and your and your experience. And, and to your point about getting your reps in, it's not, it's not just enough to go to the range and try and hit the ball straight. Because as Paul said last week, it really is one of the great... F- f- fallacies of the game 
is your trying because trying to hit it straight is what causes it to curve so wildly for most people. But I would say that if you're going to put in your 10,000 hours, as I have, as you have, I, I wish I would have spent more of those hours with an, an eye and a mind to be more aware because I think I wasted so much time trying to be technically perfect that I, uh, someone just waving at me here, uh, trying to, to be technically perfect and move my body to produce a result. I, I think I, I wish I'd spent those hours experimenting and practicing and trying to hit shots and trying to like even pitching around the green. Like I know you and I have a, a mutual friend that you tried to work with, uh, on his short game. And I, I had a chance to play with him recently and I just sort of offered him a couple of, you know, something, but, but I think part of his problem is he's so tied to a certain has to be perfect kind of thing where he's like a lot of us at times afraid to experiment. To see what oh, yeah, yeah. to see what shows up for him, you know, like well, I, approach. Yeah, well, that approach to the world has has kept him safe and allowed him to do things. I mean, he's. We all adopt these strategies as little kids. We we we, we adopt a strategy that's going to keep us safe, and so there's payoff and cost to that. So mine has been to be fairly cautious, don't get into trouble. So. Everything I do, I try to do at a high level. But at a certain place, there's a cost because I'm afraid of making mistakes. Yeah. And with my golf swing, it was I wanted to have the perfect golf swing. So I was trying to match the model. And so, like I think you were saying, so on the range, I'd be constantly, oh, am I doing this thing right? Am mm -hmm. I doing this thing with my elbow that Ben Kern taught me to do? And so I wasn't even aware of what was going on. I was just trying to do this thing with my elbow. And to me... I mean, Ben was doing his best, as most golf instructors do, and, and that was a piece that, that was, was highly likely very helpful, but I just went so overboard. And I went, oh, I'm not doing it right. And that just that puts me on my head, and it, yeah. blocks me from, it blocks me from experiencing what's really going on. I can't tell you how many hours I've spent on a range and left frustrated because I just couldn't get it Whatever I thought it was, whether it was the elbow or my weight being moved, I don't know. And, and I got to tell you, um, I've been doing a lot of reading uh, recently about golf, of course. And uh, this book I'm reading, <laughs> what else? yeah, this book I'm reading mentions Hebron, who we've had on the show, and mentions Shoemaker. And one of the things that they reiterate is it's impossible. Even the little thing I shared about the thumb and forefinger, that's not a technical thing. That's just something to be aware of. I'm not telling you what to do with your stroke, although I'm, I would offer. At least go on and make sure you're aimed where you think you are. But Hebron and Shoemaker really are advocates of self-discovery as a way of learning. Exactly. Because exactly. as you've said, as I've said, Words cannot teach. Words don't teach. Images do. Experience does. And Henrik is in that in that category in that Absolutely. all he's telling me and all he's told me for four years is hit shots, curve it to learn what that feels like. Because that is it. He said to me last night, he said, you know, because I was telling him I was having trouble drawing it yesterday in the course. And all that is, is fear of letting it go. And he said, next time you go to the range, here's what I want you to do. I want you to learn, teach yourself how to overhook it. 
like really extreme. He said, get to learn extreme and then dial it back. That's all. Didn't tell me how, because he knows I know what a draw setup is. But he said, I need you to overboard because right now you're just trying to hit tiny ones and they lead to pull hooks sometimes. He said, go get extreme. Hit a big slice. Make a big hook. And I would say that that's all about awareness. Yeah, which comes right back to your uh, great example of, of ping pong and your awareness of the paddle. You put your brain in the face of the paddle. So if you're going to try and hit a big cut, you're going to just go so hard um, left to right on that thing. Yeah. And keep the face open. Exactly, and all, and and then when you try and do uh, overspin on it, you're going to come over the top, just on it like that to to get it going right to the left. So then, when you get that experience of it, then you can start, as you say, to dial it back a bit. And that's where that's a piece where people give away their own power because they think they have to do what the experts are doing, what they see, you know, the Rory McIlroy swing on Instagram or whoever's they're looking at on YouTube. Yep. And golf's a creative, physical thing. The same as music or even just being a, a car salesman, for gosh sakes, is using your own imagination and your own unique traits. Everyone is unique. We all, and so trying to swing according to the way Tiger does it, well, that makes no sense, particularly well, if you're 60 years old. Well, for sure. And, and you know, like, um, even, if, you know, we see these guys on TV and it looks like they're hitting a lob wedge from everywhere around the green. But as Paul pointed out to me the other day, you know, just because I can doesn't mean you, you should. If you've got nothing between you and the pin and it's a 30-yard pitch, you know, why would you go for a, a lob wedge or a, a sand? Why wouldn't you do a 9-iron or a, an 8-iron like our fathers taught us? You know, we and all of us on that call today, we're all of that generation that grew up without you know, a 56-degree sandwich. I mean, we had sandwiches, but not the five that, you know, you can carry now. So I remember yeah. I learned when we are talking about pitching balls in the backyard, that wasn't with a sandwich. That was with a, a right. pitching wedge or a nine iron. And it's just so much of an easier shot. It's yeah, I think what ludicrous. You're talking about is, so what you're talking about is, is, is getting that ball on the green and getting it rolling quickly so right. it rolls like a putt because the longer it's in the air, the more there's margin for error. And it's so much harder to judge the distance. But it's what you said. It's like, why do we give away the power of thinking, well, just because I have a lob wedge, I guess that's what I chip with. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, uh, O'Connor, great job, great suggestion, great work. Uh, I gotta go. Fun. Yeah, that was a good idea. And um, are, are you gonna have to? Are we, uh, I, I, uh, I let I, I let the word shit go in our. Nah, it doesn't party. matter. No one's gonna. Oh, okay, so I'm gonna leave it. That, I, it. Gosh, I think they used to say the f word on the Osbournes on network TV. So no, I'm not gonna get away with that. No, I I did think it was funny that we had just given the boys the speech about not swearing. Yeah, there I go. Yeah, well, you know what? It, I was aware that um, you know. I was aware that I was carrying a bit of tension that my brother was on the show. That's so funny, You know, I wasn't going to tell this great long story and Howard would go, Pat, we don't have all That was great, by the way. I love the fact that you were like, hey, dude, you're going to have to edit the club championship story. All right, listen, my brother, I'm going to finish off with a little something different this week, a little squeeze maybe. Here we go. Hang on. All right, everybody, we'll see you next week.
my face. The 